Good afternoon, 7 Investors, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of 7 Investing Now. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks-Klein. I'm the host of the show, and today, Steve Simonton, I am also the director of the show <laughs> as Sam Bailey is attending to personal business. So if things go wrong, and they will go wrong, it is almost certainly my fault. Steve, how are things in Montana? It is a glorious 84 degrees. I went to the pool on Saturday. The pool was actually really cold because it... Uh, <laughs> It has been kind of cold here. It's great. I'm happy I can pass off the blame for any wrong things that happened today to you. And it's going to be 52 here today. So we're nice and toasty warm. So Steve, you know, and we're going to do a news roundup. There's so many stories in the news. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to go through a whole bunch of them. And then the second half of the show, we're going to talk a little bit about areas where people waste money and why sort of perceived value is important. Of course, along the way, we would love your questions and your comments. Uh, I don't know that I know how to share them, but we will certainly share them verbally. So if you want to say hello to us, please do. Uh, If you have questions for us along the way, we're going to talk about a lot of things, so we'll probably go a little bit out of order when it comes to the questions and the comments. But Steve, have you ever bought a car? I I say new car, but I actually bought a used car. Have you ever bought a car? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've I've probably spent too much on uh, on new vehicles some of it was sort of in the name of all right i want something i don't have to want to have to worry about uh you know get a i, I got a new uh vehicle we have an expedition uh that carries a boatload of people and has the turning radius <laughs> of a school bus but it's uh it, it's a great vehicle that i don't really have to worry about so that was sort of one of those those rare exceptions to the uh general financial wisdom that you should follow is don't buy that new car but uh you know so, so I've I've driven a Nissan Versa for the past uh, four years, and when I take a long trip or go someplace with uh, narrow roads, like driving to, to Key West, it's a very light car and it blows around quite a bit. <laughs> so I decided a few months ago my son's going to drive soon. He's he's in driver's ed, uh, and then I wanted a slightly safer car. So I looked up really safe cars, and I came up with that I wanted a used Toyota Prius. I bought the Consumer Reports. I had sort of everything down and ready to go. And I did what I did for our previous two cars, Steve. I went to Carvana. Now, this is an endorsement of Carvana the product, not Carvana the stock. I think it's too easy a model to duplicate. We're seeing it with Vroom that there's basically a a copycat company that's taking some of the business. But I've never had a better experience. You log on. You basically tell it what you want. You can play with your your payment terms. You can play with, uh, you know, geez, do I want one that's going to cost money to be delivered? Do I want to wait till they have the same car that's right near me? It's basically a seamless experience. I put my trade-in VIN number, answered a few questions. A few days later, they show up with a car. Uh, They let you sit in the car, take the car out. You sign a few things uh, electronically, and then they are gone. And then you have seven days and 400 miles to decide if you like the car. I do like the car. Uh, And they called me today to say, hey, just a reminder, you have one day left. Do you like the car? Don't, Don't forget to trade it in if you don't like it. Steve, that's not like the dealer experience, and I love this type of business. Um, yeah, <laughs> that that's a that's a fantastic thing. Yeah, I actually just went through the same thing. Traded in a a vehicle for another used vehicle. Actually, our secondary vehicle um, picked up a Jeep. I was I was excited about that, but uh, it was not that easy. <laughs> it was it was with a dealer, and uh, yeah, I'm a little envious uh, of the process. But happened to be again not not an investable company in my opinion because it's just too easy a model to uh, to duplicate. We've seen a lot of copycats. We could also see car dealers decide to stop treating people terribly and have a different business model. Uh, we've seen that a little bit with the airlines, but enough for the personal stories. Let's get to our top story for today. Remember, 
please share your questions and comments. We would love to uh, we would love to hear from you, and I think we can make that work. But Steve, the top story here is Google. Uh, that's the uh, parent company Alphabet. They mm-hmm. just announced in a blog post this morning that they're yes. going to stop selling ads that rely on your individual browsing history. So if uh, if I, as a joke, as I did yesterday, spent some time on nuts.com, a site my wife finds unbelievable that it exists, and I was looking at what they actually sell, and now, of course, I'm seeing nothing but ads for like cashews and, and, and other things they sell there. That's not going to happen anymore. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, um, so it was, it was David Temkin. He's Google's director of product management. And, and for investors keeping track, remember uh, the parent company of Google, the holding company is Alphabet. And um, basically, they just announced in a blog post this morning that they're planning to stop selling ads that rely on your individual browsing history. This is a huge deal. Um, we might remember that Google already said last year that they were phasing out third-party cookies. And this this goes further, though. This um, is essentially uh, Google saying that they plan to stop investing and using um, any tracking technology that identifies individual users' browsing history. And uh, this really comes as, as the industry, the broader industry is facing rising expectations from consumers for a more privacy-centric internet. And to be clear, Google would be much more hesitant to do so if this meant, uh, if, if they were moving forward without any sort of alternative uh, in development or in advanced development. Uh, and really, sure enough, um, there is some technology that they've been developing in partnership uh, with some other companies in the industry. And uh, it's they're going to use a, a so-called uh, privacy sandbox, basically, that arranges people into cohorts. They're big groups of users with sort of similar interests. They can do this in a very privacy-centric way, if that makes sense. It's where they're targeting ads to aggregated groups instead of individual people. So there will be... Um, I think some people are like, well, does this mean I'm going to get just crap ads like this? You are, you already get crap ads. Like, right. And yeah, I, I brought up that nuts.com thing. One, that's a joke between me and my wife. We weren't <laughs> actually going to buy anything. And realistically, if I Google walnuts, does that really mean all I want to see is walnut ads? I've talked about in the past that my wife had a nonprofit project where she had to help uh, a local shelter buy baby diapers. So mm-hmm. I, I was searching forever on a whole bunch of sites what the, the best prices for different size diapers. I can pretty sure tell you I didn't have a baby at the time and I didn't want diaper ads for the next three months. So Steve, I think this is Google doing something that won't hurt them from a business point of view. Right. Uh, you know, Serving me ads because I'm a New York Rangers fan uh, you know, who also likes movies is probably going to make more sense than serving me ads based on like what I just searched. Uh, especially with what we do for a living, where our search can take us far away. Do you see, will this have some positive business blowback from a, a privacy point of view? I, I think it will have um, some positive positive blowback. That's a, a fun little dichotomy there. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it will. Um, I think part of the reason, a big reason that they're doing this is that Google realizes that they can do this from a position of industry leadership. And they can say, well, um, you know, they don't want to be caught kind of behind the curve because they see the writing on the wall. They understand that the industry is going this way and that users are sort of um, demanding a more privacy-centric internet. And I think we will see some positive um, positive user blowback. This also could uh, also 
really help them from a, you know, when you're looking at privacy and antitrust concerns and a lot of scrutiny facing big tech companies and then saying, should you really have access to all this information? Uh, and I think it, it's sort of a, um, it, it's it's a, a user-friendly move uh, that should kind of help uh, their sway when they're making these arguments to regulators uh, in particular that uh, that maybe they're they they want to they want to play nice and they want to have this this open um, more private internet and uh, I think that the public at large will should welcome that. Yeah, and Steve, let's uh, let's pull up a comment here from. Uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce your name. I apologize. Well, this impacts Snap or Facebook news, uh, and, and he relates it to the issue between Google Ads and Apple's new. And and what I'd say here, and Steve, you could jump in is that privacy is going to be something that companies have to think about more. I, I don't think there's any other way to put it that people are not going to want this sort of rampant data use that Facebook has been guilty of. And companies yeah. are going to have to be aggressive in dealing with it, whether or not they're forced to do it. Once you have Google doing this, this becomes the new norm. I'd be shocked if yeah. everybody else doesn't follow with using cohorts for ad serving. Right. And um, Google also mentioned in their blog post this morning, uh, and you should search for it. It says uh, Google charts a course for a more uh, private Internet. And um, they they do mention they, they sort of admit that not everybody's going to do this right away. Right. So they're looking at kind of phasing in some of this technology in the second quarter of 2021. And uh, I, I think we can realistically expect them to be using maybe uh, this on a more broad basis next year. So it's not going to happen right away. But when it does happen, there are going to be companies that still attempt to track individual users' behavior. And Google admits that, hey, we may not be able to serve uh, you know, quite as, as tailored um, data, even though it's maybe not necessarily the, the greatest data. You know, you were mentioning earlier, it's like if you're checking out with an online grocery delivery or something, you add creamer. And they say, you might also want to add creamer. It's like, well, thanks for the creamer for my creamer. Like, I don't need this. But um, so they're not great in that sense. They might actually be uh, better when they're targeting the groups because they might not be so bizarrely specific and, uh, and sort of lacking context. Uh, with what you purchased, because maybe uh, there's an argument to be made that these very, very uh, specific uh, tailored ad experiences are are too good, and uh, and it might you know they might see some some positive uh, byproducts of of actually targeting to a cohort rather than individuals. You're watching Seven Investing now. Our top story today is all the stories. We are talking all sorts of news. We see your questions and comments. We're going to take them after this segment. Some of them I'll throw out to Steve, just so you know. The yes. specific companies they're asking about, we hmm. might not talk about those companies, but we will talk about the market point that some of those questions raises. Because there's a right. lot of, why is this stock doing that kind of questions. And I think as long-term investors, I literally just wrote a piece that said, well, why is this stock doing this? Who cares? Nothing has changed about my underlying investing thesis. There was no news today that mattered. So for the most part, that's usually what we think. But let, let's uh, let's move into the political realm without being too political. President Joe Biden uh, says that life will be back to normal by this time next year. He also said that there will be vaccine available for any American who wants it, uh, which, dear God, should be most Americans, uh, by May. <laughs> Steve, I see kind of a dichotomy there. If everyone could have a vaccine by May, why is life not back to mostly normal in June? Like, <laughs> I, I'm not sure why we have these like strange goals. And I asked this yeah. from the investing point of view of 
normal means there'll be crowds at Disney World. There'll be hotels open. There'll be, you know, I'll be able to play blackjack without, uh, you know, plastic dividers between me and somebody else. Yeah. I, I know you're not the medical person here, but why do you think there's these weird two different goalposts? Part of it is, um, you know, there, there's certainly an aspect of, of sort of vaccine hesitancy. Uh, people, there, there's a, a pretty large group of people who are concerned that these vaccines were rushed and that they're not as effective, et cetera. I mean, to be clear, and after talking with our colleagues uh, in biotech about this, who are by all means vaccine experts, these vaccines, um, they weren't rushed, they were prioritized. And there's a big difference. And that's something that we really need to keep in mind is that these weren't vaccines that were sort of rushed into development and, and um, you know, that, <laughs> that you're getting some sort of discount version of a vaccine that, that isn't, you know, it's going to make you grow an arm out of your neck or something. It's not, that's not the way it works. Uh, they were prioritized. And, um, you know, so I, I would make the argument that people shouldn't be worried about that. However, uh, there are a, a significant group of people who won't get vaccinated right away. And uh, we're going to have to worry about that. There's also, um, you know, the, the arguments that uh, some of these variants may be less, um, you know, that, that there may be new variants that we're dealing with. Um, we just sort of need to phase this kind of back in. And, uh, you know, there's, there's um, you know, a couple month sort of period where you need to, uh, it's not, it's not just flipping a switch, you know. To, it's it's you know. not. And, and that's why I asked this question, because I think we've seen volatility in the stock market where people are bidding up like hotel stocks and other things based on a recovery. And this isn't going to be like there's one day where someone comes on TV and says, we're recovered. Like everything's everything's great. Like this is yeah. going to be gradual. I've been vaccinated. I'm fully vaccinated as of tomorrow it will be two weeks. So I'm going to do some things like go see other relatives who've been vaccinated. I am more willing to get on a plane because it's less of a danger to my family. I was always going to be careful, right. um, but I am going to do the things that that you know the CDC has said is okay to do. Yeah. But me deciding I'm going to go on a gambling trip doesn't necessarily mean the economy is open or everything is normal. Yeah. So it is going to be a slow rollout, but uh. Steve, let's stay in the political realm here. While, while we're, we're dancing with fire, why not? Uh, there's a $1.9 trillion stimulus plan that's moving forward. Um, and this includes $1,400 payments. And why is this important from an yeah. investing point of view? Um, a, a lot of people are spending this money. But what yeah. is this going to look like? Well, I think it'll look like everyone takes their $1,400 payments and YOLOs it into GameStop options. I think that's <laughs> um, just kidding. Please don't. Um, the the <laughs> So... The uh, you know it's it's through the house the 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus plan and this should kind of aid and and sort of supercharge uh, economic growth and um, now uh, it's going to go to the Senate we're going to see some back and forth uh, you know attempts to kind of lower the size of that 1.9 trillion dollar price tag uh, I think they'll have limited success anyone who's trying to reduce the size of that but there there are some things that will probably be written out they've already sort of abandoned the $15 minimum wage aspect of it um, the $1400 payments are not expected to be a point of contention now to be very clear that will be on its way uh, that's sort of a, a very bipartisan everybody wants this it's going to happen uh, $1400 per adult up to you know 150,000 i think it phases out by uh, yeah phases out by 150 um yeah, so, and, and Steve, let me let me jump in. I'm all in favor of jumpstarting the economy. Right. I am not in favor of sending me money, and I think that's a problem. Anybody who's worked through the yeah. pandemic 
maybe should be eligible for tax credits based on added expense. If I could say, hey, look, I had to set up a studio at home and, and that was an added expense, uh, maybe some of that should be tax deductible. Yeah. But I do think there's this, like in the beginning, I get it, just get checks out to people. Mm-hmm. But if you get that check, if I get that check, is it better for the economy that we're much more likely to spend it than we are to save it because we've been in pretty good financial condition throughout the pandemic? Yeah. Um there's there's arguments made both ways, really. And, uh, you know, there there was, you know, that, that was a point of contention earlier. Uh, but now I think everybody's just sort of accepted. This is what we're going to do. Uh, you're going to get that money, whether you like it or not. Uh, <laughs> and and, uh, and it's it's one of those things that um, that I think, you know, when, when you look at the follow on effects, the the upside of giving money to people who may not need it sort of outweighed the um the, the downside of, of potentially giving people money who didn't need it because they wanted to make sure everybody who got it needed it. And uh, yeah, that will definitely happen. And they did um, sort of accelerate the phase out of the full payments uh, to sort of make it slightly more targeted. Um, but most people who got stimulus checks last time should get um, you know more this time around. So uh, it'll, it'll be really interesting to watch kind of the, the follow-on effects because the last $600 payments that we got did result uh, in some pretty quick uh, spurs for sort of economic reopening businesses. And, uh, you know, we had the CEO of Walmart saying, you know what, um, you know, this is, people are spending this on necessities, uh, especially with those lower income tax filers. And, and, uh, and that was really important because these are people who, um, you know, they were sort of choosing between paying rent and, and feeding themselves. And, and that's a situation that nobody should be in. And I think this was sort of like a, let's, let's overshoot this instead of undershoot this. And they didn't want to walk that line. So that's kind of the way it's happening. Uh, and should, uh, you know, hopefully get it approved. Everything that in the stimulus package, they're hoping by the middle of March, uh, which means, you know, possibly by the end of March or early April, we'll start to see those checks arrive. You're watching 7 Investing Now. We see your questions and comments. Feel free to get more in. We're going to do them in between segments. Steve, let's stick with Walmart here. Mm. So Walmart has dropped. Now, they do two-hour delivery in certain markets on a limited selection of items, but they've dropped the $35 minimum. Is this a direct sort of swing at like, if if Amazon does it, we could do it better? Is this like escalating where pretty soon I'm going to be able to order like a 15 cent item and it's going to show up in five minutes and they're going to lose like $8 (laughs) doing it? Like, it seems to me like a fairly unnecessary move to be made. Yeah, I I think, um, yeah, it's definitely a shot at Amazon. You know, they're looking for that two hour delivery and they're trying to. Uh, it, it's it's sort of one of those those weird flexes. It's like, it's like did you really need to, to flex that? Did you have to do that? But uh, I, I think they they decided that the benefits again in this case of dropping that thirty five minimum dollar purchase for a two hour delivery uh, outweighs you know the possibility that someone might want to uh, alternatively get something like that from Amazon. So uh, Walmart and Amazon are in this battle. I think people actually generally underestimate uh, Walmart's capabilities. Uh, relative to what Amazon can offer because they think, well, Amazon is this powerhouse in delivery and, and Walmart's, they're so big. But um, Yeah, uh, Walmart's not there yet. They've done yeah. a great job on the fly building this out. But the reality is Walmart's still using 170,000 human people to fill these orders. That is not cost effective. What this yeah. is good for is it's really good for consumers. As investors, there is going to be an expense drag on both of these companies and to a lesser extent, Target, Based on this sort of, well, if you do this, we do that. And that's going to be good for their infrastructure. That's never going to end. But at some point, well, we can't have instant delivery. So, you know, until you have Star Trek being able to beam things to people, 
two hour delivery might become one hour delivery, but that's yeah. probably the end of it. Let's stay in retail. This is what I really like, Steve. Nordstrom, that is not a company we talk about much. Nordstrom is a struggling high-end retailer that uh, caters to older people. I think it's it's probably fair to say, but <laughs> you know, you know, that's a shop like my mom would talk about. Uh, not really, that's a terrible example, but like it's more of a high-end store uh, than you and I might go into to buy a pair of jeans or sneakers or whatever it is. But they're bringing in a store within a store concept for Tonal. Tonal is a sort of a cross between mirror and a Bowflex. It, it, it has, it's like a big screen mounted on your wall that also has the, the exercise equipment built in it. Uh, and it can track your workout. It's, you know, so it's part Peloton. It's part, it's part directed workout. I think it's a really cool product. And I wasn't going to spend $2,500 on one. I'm not going to spend $2,500 on one because I live 30 yeah. yards from a gym. But if I didn't, I might, but I wouldn't do it without seeing it. I think this is actually a pretty brilliant deal for Nordstrom to bring in some new clientele. Uh, sure. Um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't live 30 yards from a gym and I'm not buying a tonal, but hey, maybe they can. Uh, I'm also not going to a Nordstrom anytime soon. So, um, you know, maybe maybe it'll sell. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of meh on this whole thing. Like I, I, I honestly think uh, a year from now, we're not going to be saying, you know, Nordstrom and Tonal maybe won't be saying this is a transformative deal. Uh, you know, so they, they can, they can maybe, um, it's, bring it's definitely people, but definitely, definitely not a transformative deal, but right. you got to look at this in steps. When yeah. Best Buy began its transformation and they first said, well, let's have a Microsoft store. I don't know what store was first in Best Buy. Mm -hmm. And then eventually a massive part of the Best Buy business became these store within a stores. If this becomes, okay, a month from now, uh, Nordstrom announces Warby Parker is going into their stores or Untuck It or whatever it is. Yeah. All of a sudden, they could use digital brands to transform Nordstrom. And there is an opportunity for this because a lot of these online only retailers who were looking at brick and mortar are right. a little bit wary about their investment there. So taking 50 square feet in a Nordstrom that you probably have a relatively short term deal is a yeah. much smaller bet than putting a Peloton store in a mall and having to sign a lease, though lease terms have been more flexible. Steve, let's stay retail. So have you ever done an Amazon return at Kohl's? Because Kohl's says it's driven 2 million customers to them. And it's really the first good news we've heard out of Kohl's in a very long time. Yeah, um, I have several actually. Uh, I, I like, you know, whenever I need to return something, it's a lot easier just to go there. And, uh, you know, they'll throw my box back at me and be like, I don't want this. Like, so they'll, they'll take care of the packaging. It is kind of handy, though. And uh, I can confidently say I probably wouldn't set foot in goals otherwise. Uh, and I have, you know, browsed around a little bit. So, hey, good for them. You know, has it, let, has it led to a purchase? Because uh, sales were down at Kohl's, despite them being in a better financial position. I, I think actually once it did, because I walked by there, you know, they make you walk all the way through the store. Uh, to get, you know, sort of like back into the left and, and, oh yeah, the Amazon, um, you know, I, I'm like, I, I know what you're doing guys. You're making me walk by all your, your little end caps and everything. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, they have a pretty good shoe selection we've got kids and, and uh, yeah, we've picked up some shoes from them. So, so absolutely has. So um, good move for them. And uh, you know, whether it's a giant headache for the person who has to sit there and accept Amazon deliveries all day, I don't know, but I do think it was a, a you know, actually sort of a, a low key, brilliant move uh, to bring people in and, and it sort of accomplished what they were hoping it would. I still question it, but it's the first time Kohl's has seemed hopeful uh, <laughs> and, and I will move them from a, 
I slightly don't think they're going to make it to yeah. I slightly think they might make it. Uh, you, plus, you, you've gone from a frown emoji to a grimace emoji, I think. Like, I, I, I think, and, you know, personally, I'm trying to go to a, uh, you know, the this guy emoji from being grimace. So <laughs> you know, that's, that is the transformation uh, we are going for. Target reported uh -huh. earnings. They were blockbuster. Sales were up 21%, but that's mm -hmm. not the interesting part, Steve. Yeah. Their CEO, uh, Brian Cornell, said that this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't a pandemic change. Mm -hmm. That seems to me very bold. Do you see that Target has somehow become this much more popular with customers? Or a lot of it was that we're going to places that are convenient and easy during a pandemic? Well, I, I honestly think they, they did win. They, they won a lot of clout uh, from customers who sort of relied on them for a lot of things during the pandemic. Uh, they did a really good job at uh, it, it's still bringing in traffic during it. And now we're seeing sort of the follow on effect from people who really enjoy their retail experience. And uh, I mean, I, I can probably, yeah, I can confidently say our family is probably a full percentage point of their sales growth. Uh, this, <laughs> it was, <laughs> my wife's like, I'm going to Target. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go talk to the loan guy. Like this, she, it's, it's a fantastic concept. And uh, you know, the people spend a lot of time in these stores and, um, it's uh, they've done a fantastic job uh, really honing uh, the experience and bringing people back in for more. And, uh, you know, their, their red card options and the Starbucks kind of built in and, and uh, you know, you can kind of get most of what you want and avoid uh, trips to other stores in the process at Target. And uh, a lot of their um, store specific brands, you know, Target exclusives, um, uh, owned and operated brands is the way to yeah, put it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, and and it's actually you know high quality uh, merchandise that people like to go back for and can't find anywhere else. And and I think they've done an admirable job. And I don't think it's as bold as people think to say that their strength will be sustainable uh, even after the pandemic ends. Uh, it's pretty impressive uh, business here. I think they're overstating it a little bit. I, I I do think they've gained some customers. Their business is better. But a lot of Target shopping right now, not a lot, but some of Target shopping right now is because it's easier to go into Target than a smaller store. Target has always been entertainment in my household. We have always, on a do-nothing Saturday, gone, hey, you want to go walk around Target and we'll buy a few things. I live, as we've talked about on the show many times, I now, I now live four-tenths of a mile from a Target. As soon as this show is over, I'm going to change shirts and walk to Target and go get some coffee. So, so, so it's, it's, you know, it's definitely a company I believe in. But I do think as investors, be a little bit wary next year that you're going to see some same store sales declines. Like you're going to see some stores and you really need to look at two years ago. Uh, you know, Domino's is, is a really solid company and a lot of people for financial and convenience reasons have been ordering pizza. That might be more pizza than they normally order. I know that the Chinese place we normally order from uh, is selectively closed a, a lot, maybe like two thirds of the time. They're, they're picking and choosing when they operate. So we're ordering other things. That pattern will change if the Chinese place reopens. And that was probably a twice a month for us, as opposed to now being an, oh, good, they're open, we'll get it. So I do think be a little bit wary of Target's optimism here. Steve, we got two more we're going to do. Uh, and I'm going to let I'd you- I'd like to address 
question from uh, if you could bring that up from Kevin uh, Eckmark. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he said that the demo demographic changes is what he's referring to. A target would, will be interesting, filled with teenagers, young families like them all. I agree with that as well. That's been really interesting. So I go in there. There's a lot of young people. Do, and, do you uh, think that's a change? I feel like that's always been the target audience. You know, I I feel like there it's more so than usual. Every time I go in there, um, you have kids you know, groups of kids walking around. And, uh, and I noticed that the last couple of times I was in, uh, was that it, it wasn't so much, you know, kids being dragged to the toy section or kids dragging their parents to the toy section. It was actually, um, you know, kids kind of browsing around teenagers who can drive there themselves. Uh, so it will be really interesting to watch, uh, whether this is overstated. So, uh, Anyway, I, yes. I've seen I've seen no shortage of the normal teenagers at my mall. Uh, so you know we still go to the mall somewhat regularly, and I do feel like it is still a hangout. I think we talk a lot about mall traffic, and it's it's one of my pet peeve things. I, I've brought it up many Brad. times. That... Bradley says, "No, you're just getting older, Steve." Right. We can uh, show that one as well. Oop! Did I not? I made Oop. it disappear. It's uh, yeah, we we, yeah. we are getting older, and I think I, I think I'm more aware of how mm-hmm. many people are in the mall with no intention of purchasing anything beyond maybe like a pretzel or something at the food court later. I think that is something, uh, and, and our our very own Max Chatsko shares. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I could see Steve dragging his kids to the toy section. Yes, St- I'm probably way more into Star Wars toys than my son is, though. He can always be diverted to the Nerf section. But, Steve, we're running out of time here. So let's talk uh, Roku. Roku has been making major moves in the advertising space. This is an ad-driven company, as much as we think of it as a hardware-driven company. And they just bought an ad unit from Nielsen. Why don't you tell the 7 Investing audience sort of what this means? So um, they bought Nielsen's advanced video advertising unit. And uh, what what this is really going to do for them is, is give them the capability to uh, handle dynamic ad insertion. So DAI, uh, dynamically inserted ads, where they kind of know the the content that's flowing through their pipeline and they can give advertisers the option of serving up a more relevant ad that might have a uh, better ability to actually convert to something. And, uh, you know, and something that advertisers would be willing to pay a little bit extra for. So, um, you know, their, their automatic content recognition tools um, will, will come under Roku's roof. They'll be able to, to really give them um, some really compelling options for advertisers. So uh, this, this should be, um, I mean, it's a great move by Roku and, uh, and, and how it actually, whether it represents a threat uh, to some of the other companies in the space like the trade trade desk and Magnite and uh, you know specifically uh, kind of remains to be seen we've already seen some competition um, with between Roku and the trade desk specifically uh, because they acquired a company called uh, data zoo and turned it into Roku OneView. so uh, you have these sort of sell side platforms um, for uh, getting advertisers the best bang for their buck uh, on programmatic ads. Uh, Roku kind of wants to do everything itself. Uh, you were talking about that a little before the call. I'd love to to hear kind of what you think uh, of this specific deal. Yeah, I think this is Roku following the Facebook model. I think Roku wants to be able to sell you the ad, have it all be self-serve, and target the ad as best as possible. We all know this is not a great experience. Like, I, I have a TiVo, 
And when you play something in your TiVo archive, it gives you a 30-second commercial. You can skip it if you want, but it gives you a 30-second commercial. And it's in theory targeted. It is never in practicality targeted. <laughs> this has been my experience. So Roku is going to get better and better at this. And it's going to make them more of a Facebook competitor where they can right. go and say, hey, small business. Like, I can give you Pizza Place, people who live within two miles of your restaurant that are interested in pizza. And that's going to be a very, very long road to get there. That's going to take a few years. Uh, at first, it's going to be, hey, you watched a Manimal rerun on the, the Roku channel. You might also like uh, the A-Team. Like, you know, it's not going to be that specific. But the more of this they control, sort of the bigger piece of it. And this is going to be good for consumers. It's also going to be good for advertisers. Because if you don't have a middleman in there, the advertiser will pay less. The consumer will get something that makes more sense for them. So again, I, I like the direction. I think the reality of this is going to take a while. Uh, but Steve, one last story before we uh, we take some questions. Then we're going to talk uh, a little bit about 7investing. And then we're going to talk uh, one of my favorite personal finance stories, where people are wasting money. But uh, Square has launched a bank. Uh, right. I didn't know Square wasn't a bank. What does it mean now that Square is a bank? Um, so it, it, it's... Uh, it, it is, it's going to be headquartered in Utah. Uh, it's going to offer business loan and deposit products. So, uh, you know, I visited Square headquarters a couple of years ago and they were talking about uh, how they wanted to kind of be this, this leader in s- these small loans that they wanted to offer people. This will make it easier. Um, you know, they'll kind of originate loans for Square's capital or Square Capital's existing lending products. So this will help facilitate this. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a good move. And, um, you know, it'll it'll continue to to sell loans to to third party investors and limit balance sheet exposure. Um, doesn't expect to really have an, a material impact uh, to its balance sheet uh, or revenue, um, gross profit adjusted EBITDA in 2021. Uh, but really, it, it's just a, a signal for uh, Square's broader ambitions to be sort of an, a one stop shop uh, in the financial space and uh, and payments and. Um, you know, that's, it's a, a fantastic move for the long term, even though it may not have uh, really any big impact on its financials in the near term. Yeah, they've said it's not going to have a material impact. Uh, I just think it gives them optionality. They're still going to use outside banks. They're not going to take the balance sheet risk of everything being a loan they do. This is just another tool in their arsenal. And I think it's a smart play. It's not easy to become a bank. I know, Steve, if you want to become a bank, that's going to take years, not not weeks, not months. There's a lot of regulatory concern. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that being said, we have gone through a ton of stories here. We're going to take a few of your questions. If you want to get questions and comments in, we will do some questions now. Uh, we will also do some questions at the end of the show. Uh, but Steve, before we do that, uh, it's a couple of days after the first of the month. You you had a busy, busy weekend. Why don't you tell the audience that's watching uh, sort of what happens at 7investing on the first of the month. It's uh, yeah, it's always a little crazy uh, toward the end of the month and right afterward because uh, we offer our top seven stock ideas to subscribers every month uh, for $17 a month or $170 a year. Uh, that basically gets a couple months free if you go with the annual option. But uh, we that's what we do. We pick stocks for people and we transparently track them uh, with real money positions in a, a recommendations table that people can click on, view our reports, see the performance of the stocks in real time. And uh, every month we offer seven up, seven, 
seven new recommendations up to subscribers. And uh, you go to seveninvesting.com forward slash subscribe to take a look at what we have to offer. And you also get access to us. We love talking with subscribers and answering their specific questions about our recommendations. So um, that's part of the fun. Uh, we're a small team. And, um, you know, even though it, it tends to be uh, very busy for us and uh, you might get emails from us at, at 10 p.m. or something when I'm, I'm digging through something that you sent me, uh, it, it's, a, it's a blast and we really can't express our support or our, our, uh, our appreciation enough for the support of people uh, since it's an, a year it's an, ago. It's an amazing value. We're going to talk more about our anniversary uh, with Simon Erickson on Friday's show. I think Matt Cochran's going to join us for that as well. But I can say the value is incredible. I use our picks. Like I am a professional stock picker and I use the seven investing service uh, for a decent part of my portfolio for of the new money I'm investing because it's such a diverse team, just just so much going on. Uh, but that being said, Steve, we're going to move from stocks into personal finance. And I had a tweet go viral that this has been seen by about 90,000 people at this point, which is pretty exciting. And I, I basically asked on Twitter, what's the dumbest thing people spend a lot of money on? Uh, my suggestion was, and this is not about my personal situation, because I had a lovely wedding that that my my mother and my father threw, and it was it worked out. We've been married for 20 years. But I think for most people, a wedding is really a bad idea because it comes at a time of life. Now, we already owned a home. We were already a, a little bit established. For a lot of people, it comes at a time where you'd be better off putting a down payment on a house. You'd be yeah. better off paying down student debt. And really... I kind of feel like we should celebrate like our 10 year anniversary, not our like getting married's easy. Staying married is, is the challenging thing. But Steve, let me ask you, is there any area in your life where, you know, you're consistently wasting money and you do it anyway? Um, <laughs> you know, not so much. Probably eating out is one of those areas that, uh, that we probably spend uh, too much money on every month. And, and maybe we don't look at our, our budget as closely as we should. Uh, but that's one of those areas uh, that you know, I'm, I'm not particularly concerned about. Uh, there, there are a lot of places uh, that you can that you can sort of waste money. <clears throat> and like to the wedding idea, uh, I honestly think that's kind of one of those hard sells because people are like I'm doing this once and only once, and and, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and statistics would say no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but um, that's uh, that's kind of the, the 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 tricky part about those those big one time expenses. You know, you could put college up there uh, with that as well, where you know it might be smarter for people to go go to a couple of years of community college and then finish their degree at uh, you know wherever they want their diploma to say. Um, but, uh, that, again, that's, that's kind of a hard sell. And, and in retrospect, people say I would have done this differently, but, um, that's tough. So I, I'd look at it two ways. I think it's kind of a value proposition and because people most commonly answered Starbucks or fancy coffee. Yeah. And here's the reality. We're going to talk about this in the finisher as well. And I forgot to get to your questions. So we will get to your questions, uh, at the end of the show. So please keep getting your questions and comments in things you'd like us to talk about. They don't have to be related. But I, I will say that for me, when the world is normal and you can sit in a Starbucks, the ritual of walking or driving to get my cup of coffee, maybe something to eat with it, getting my laptop out, doing some work, there's a lot of joy in that for me. Even after this show, to walk over to Target, get my iced coffee and walk right back home with it, I'm going to enjoy that very much. So now if it's just a ritual and you don't enjoy it or just a rote thing you do and you'd be just as happy with the coffee in your your house or your office place, then yeah, it yeah. is a waste of money. 
But you know, if you're doing something like I have Disney passes, which are most people would consider, oh, that's a waste of money. Like, why you know you're gonna spend between my son and I, it's like you know, twelve, thirteen hundred dollars a year on on annual passes to Disney. It's well, we went 25, 30 times last year. And there's a lot of fun to it. There is a lot of stress removed when you don't have to say, I'm only going a certain amount of times per year. So I think that's the reality of all of these personal finance areas. But Steve, let's share some ideas where people you know, could maybe still get what they want, but cut some corners. I'll throw one out. Uh, buying a car. We talked about this in the, the early part of the show. I have never purchased a new car. I always buy a used car. In fact, this time... I traded in a 2016 Nissan for a, to- a 2014 Toyota. And I did all mm-hmm. of my homework on that. But one, Carvana does an excellent job. So the car looks like nearly new. But I got a car I really wanted with all the features I wanted. And I got it for under $11,000. Like, whereas a new one would have cost me, I don't know, somewhere close to thirty. What are other areas like that where people can maybe still get what they want and, and save a little bit of money? Uh, phones, you know, new, new tech, like, you know, I, I've never been sort of the, the guy who wants to have the latest and greatest everything. Like, do you, you know, uh, you mean like I, me? Yes. <laughs> so again, and some people take a lot of pleasure in that. And I think there is something to be said for sort of the intangible joy that you get from some of those items, uh, on a limited basis, but, uh, I don't mind waiting, you know, a year, kind of like, uh, you know, if you waited uh, even a year or two to, to buy, or to, to let somebody put the first 20,000 miles on a car or something, uh, you know, save yourself 10 or $15,000 in the process. Like even if you're getting an almost new vehicle, uh, you know, and, and I've, I've kind of done the same thing uh, with vehicles. We traded in my wife's first car just a couple of years. Actually, we donated it to a church. Uh, it was a yeah, 98 Cavalier or something like that. And it was so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mind hanging on to, to things for a while if it means I don't have the, the latest and greatest, but uh I do. Um, I think there is some some sort of intangible joy that people do need to consider uh, when it comes to little expenses like that. So, I think it's important uh, to go to sort of uh, relative value. So uh, I'll go back to weddings again. We had a lovely wedding. We got married at the Peabody Essex Museum. It was it was an amazing affair. But if I had been paying it for for it myself, well, a wedding cake is hundreds of dollars. Sure. A really nice cake from a bakery isn't. <laughs> so mm-hmm. is it that important to you that your cake be a wedding cake? If you buy a save the date uh, through a wedding planner, that's going to cost you a lot more than going to a stationary store and picking out something you can use or printing your own. There's a lot of ways you can, I don't want to say cut corners, but you can do something very, very nice that's sort of outside the system. I know that I just booked travel uh, for, for this summer. And I did it on Priceline. And for me, I always start at Priceline. Like one, your deals get better the more you shop there. And it was frustrating because where I wanted to go in Key West, uh, as soon as I tried to book something, it was gone. Like the, the area is that there's been a run on travel. So it yeah. took me a while, but I paid about a third the price I would have paid had I gone to another travel site or to where I books website directly. So I do right. think no matter how much money you have, you really need to focus on what your purchases are. I know during the pandemic, we've been ordering, you know, Gold Belly and Butcher Box and and things that are really, really convenient. And Gold Belly, admittedly, there was a a really good deal from American Express, so I got I got a basically fifty percent off. I'm not going to do that post pandemic when I could go to the little grocery stores and butcher shops and places that I like. So I don't think any 
spending is inherently wasteful if it brings you that amount of joy. If if your wedding or your dream vacation or your cup of coffee is that important to you, you need to rank it, but you also need to give up. Like I'm getting my cup of coffee, but I'm not driving a 2021 car. Steve, I'll give you the last word on this one. Yeah. Uh, actually, our friend Max Lucas brings up an excellent point. Uh, if you wouldn't mind bringing up his comment. Uh, he says, after reviewing a ton of people's financials at a bank, I can tell you the biggest spending mistakes people make are living above their means. The amount of credit card debt I see is extraordinary. That is a fantastic point. One of the yeah. areas that people waste a lot of money is credit card interest. Uh, you don't realize, you know, when you're even if you have a really you know, a card with attractive terms and attractive uh when I say that, I, I mean something like 14%, 15% interest or something might be a, a good rate on a credit card. <laughs> that's not um, even an attractive term from a guy who'll break your legs. So, like. so that's, that's the trouble is, you know, when you have um, a ton of credit card debt that's accruing interest at extraordinary rates, higher than you uh, might reasonably able to ex- be able to expect each year, even in the stock market. Um, that's something that uh, you should A, pay down and B, avoid running back up again. Uh, living well within your means, not spending money that you don't have, I think is something that, um, you know, on a, on a broader basis is a fantastic way to avoid wasting money and uh, accruing interest on, on credit card purchases, because that purchase, you know, whether you needed it uh, right away or not, or whether you could waited maybe a month or two to kind of save up for it ends up being a whole lot more expensive than you think, uh, when it's accruing interest on a card. So, uh, definitely a, a fantastic point for Max. It's also really important when, when you talk about living within your means to make big purchases really thoughtfully. So we talked about cars, but the biggest purchase m- most people make is a home. Mm-hmm. And I know that I've always been pretty cautious when it came to homes and buying towards the end of what we could spend. Now, the problem is that's great if what you're buying is going to be just enough for a long time. I can think of one home we purchased that we only stayed in for a few years because, yes, it was inexpensive, but it wasn't really enough home for us. And we kind of needed to move on relatively quickly. And we did so during the uh, housing crash and it wasn't pretty and it was sort of difficult to to sell the home. Um, But that being said, you know, since then we've moved very thoughtfully. When we moved to West Palm Beach, we thought a lot about how much room do we need and can the outside be part of our living area? And by, I don't mean our deck, I mean the the city. And pre-pandemic that worked really well. Once the pandemic hit, three of us at a 1,300-square-foot home didn't make that much sense, uh, so we made some changes. When it comes to credit cards, your credit cards are for emergencies. Your refrigerator breaks and you can't afford a new one. Well, that is something you should charge because you need a refrigerator, and even if you have to pay that off. Now, look to see if there are better terms. Maybe Best Buy will give you 0% financing. Credit cards are also for purchases with rewards cards that you can pay off before you pay any interest. So I know I use my credit cards for absolutely everything, and then I pay that bill, if not on a daily basis, at least on a monthly basis. Uh, Many of my credit cards just let me go in and immediately just pay the bill. And I do that because I want those travel points. I want those rewards dollars. Every purchase I make on Amazon goes on an Amazon credit card, and it's a 5% bonus. But I pay that credit card off. I don't pay interest charges. Uh, So that's an area where if you can be disciplined, you can do really, really well with credit cards. And that also really helps your credit. Uh, The more you pay off your cards, the more credit card companies will increase your limits. When your limit goes up, your utilization rate, if you are using some of your your credit, 
uh, that will go down. I know at points we've had a balance because we had a 0%, like when we redid our floors, we had a 0% 18-month financing, and I just set it to auto pay in 17 months. Mm-hmm. So it you know, paid some every month. Why not take a free loan? But that does up my utilization. So the more credit you have, the better. But Steve, I see a lot of questions here, and they're all on a very similar theme. And I'm going to share just a couple of them. So uh, uh, this one is, uh, hi all, is Palantir bottoming? I tend to think so. Uh, and then Tucker4151, and I can't see the names. They, they block out yeah. on my screen while I'm... He does I'm... Lemonade there. Uh, says... Yeah, and, and, and he says, can you explain Lemonade after earnings? And Steve, I don't want to explain any of these companies. Pa- is Palantir bottoming out? I don't um... know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, so... I mean, I, I can I can speak to those a little bit, and um, but uh, Palantir. I, I'd actually is, like you to speak to sort of the philosophy of yeah, long term investing more I, so I than think, specific I think stuff. First, the, the thing that we need to talk about is is the fact that um, we don't try and time uh, market entries. You know, we do provide our recommendations on a monthly basis when we think the stock is tr- you know trading at a relatively attractive valuation. Uh, relative to its long-term prospects. So that's something we really need to think about. Don't try and time so much the the bottom uh, or top uh, of stocks in that sense. Uh, and, you know, there's an argument argument to be made that, you know, companies like Palantir have been hit hard and uh, and potentially the stock could be attractive for long-term investors, um, you know, especially given really, really sharp pullbacks. But uh, it's, it's really hard to tell how far uh, they're going to go. And I think the, the better idea is to buy companies like this on, you know, if you're interested in buying a particular stock, uh, don't be afraid to dollar cost average your way in. Don't, you know, say, all right, I've got a thousand dollars. I'm going to put it all in at this time because I think it's good. You know, I think I'm going to time the bottom. And then, you know, it falls 13% more or something. And, you know, people panic because they see the value of their investment uh, declining. You should think of this as owning a piece of a business. And uh, I, I think that's key is, is say, if you were to buy a piece of this business, would you be comfortable owning part of that and holding on to it for years at a time? And uh, if the answer is yes, and you think that this business is going to be a much larger business years from now, uh, then you know, consider opening it up and, and maybe don't put all your money to work at once. You know, Buy it in thirds or quarters or something. Um, but that's, that's kind of how we need to think about this. We're long-term oriented investors. We don't try to time uh, tops and bottoms or trade around earnings. We say, you know, we like this company now. We're buying it. We're holding it. And uh, we think the, its value will go up in time. So let me talk a little bit about Lemonade. You know, my wife and I both got uh, 10-year insurance policies through mm-hmm. Lemonade within the last uh, week or so. Yeah. But they're trying to disrupt an industry that's been around for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. One earnings report is not that relevant. Now, if you go to the earnings call and they tell you, hey, we thought consumers were going to like this and they don't, uh, well, that would be different. They did not say that. But really the story for Lemonade isn't going to be about quarter to quarter. It's going to be about whether the market accepts this as a way of buying insurance. That's important. Mm -hmm. And two, whether the risk portfolio of selling insurance without a medical exam proves to be a good one. You're not going to know that answer for at least, you know, five or six years until you start seeing, uh uh-oh, was their AI wrong and they were selling these too low and more people are dying? Uh, Or or maybe their AI was great and they can actually start lowering prices in selective places. So this is not a company. And there are other companies being asked about. There's probably 10 questions on the list here about specific companies. And for the most part, you know, it's really encouraging when, say, a Target comes out and says, 
or a Kohl's, which both did, we fundamentally think we have more customers and here are the reasons. Because that gives you a baseline to track, is that true? Do they have more customers? Will that play out a year from now? I think that's really interesting, but I don't really put a lot of stock in in any of the short-term news. And if you're a member, I wrote a piece this morning talking about one of my picks, but mostly talking about how it was 20% up and 20% down in the same day more than once in the past few months. And that doesn't matter because it doesn't change the long-term thesis. Steve, this has been fun. We are nearing the end here. We're going to hit our finisher. I think I know how to bring this up. Uh, This was uh, related to what we've been talking about for the last little while. Uh, What area do you think people waste the most money on? Uh, 34.5% said fancy coffee. 27.3% 27.3% said new phones, 31.3% clothes, and 7% said travel. Steve, is there one there where you think people are wasting money more often than not? Um, <laughs> that I, I guess I would have said new phones uh, on that one. Um, I don't mind my fancy coffee, and uh, clothes are necessary, but uh, they, they can be wasteful depending on which ones you buy. But uh, you know, maybe there's an argument for, for higher quality clothes, like shoes, for example. Like I love decent shoes that last me five, six, seven years instead of buying, you know, a pair every, you know, two pairs every year. Um, but yeah, travel, maybe not so much right now. <laughs> no, not, not, not so much right now. I, I think people are largely wasteful on clothes because if you plan ahead with clothes, like, you know, you and I, I, I own two suits, maybe three. You probably own a, a similar amount. Yep. If you buy a suit because the suit is well-priced, knowing you will need a suit for various things in the future, Mm -hmm. that makes a lot more sense than, oh, crud, I got that wedding coming up in a month. I'm going to go buy a suit. Uh, I tend to plan clothes. and I only wear like three things, so I'm not a great example. Same thing with sneakers. You mentioned having good shoes. I I really hard on shoes. I walk a ton. I, until recently, lived downtown, so I go through maybe two or three pairs of fairly expensive, uh, I tend to wear New Balance shoes. So every time I'm at the outlet mall, I'll take a look in at the the ones I like. And if they happen to be 149 instead of, uh, you know, 189, it is very possible I might go with that. I also think, uh, I also think uh, travel is an area where people aren't selective enough. Uh, in the days of travel agents, you had advocates who were sort of, uh, you know, working for you and going out there trying to get you the best deal possible. I think right now you need to do a lot of that yourself. Um, I see a question. Uh, Chris Morley says, this reminds me of the Vines boot theory. Uh, Chris, I don't know that theory. So uh, Chris is a, a longtime friend. So if you want to share, uh, we're on for another minute or two. If you want to share what that is, we are more than happy to talk about it. Um, but I actually think with all spending, you need to really think about like, is this a smart choice for me now? I got to a point where a cup of coffee, no matter how often I have one, is not going to impact my finances. I don't care if you say, well, you're spending $7 a day and you could have put an extra $50 in the market. I could put an extra $50 in the market if I want to. I'm lucky. I've, I've gotten to a point where things are reasonably stable. There were points where my wife and I wouldn't necessarily buy lunch without discussing with each other uh, you know what we were, you know what we were doing, uh, Chris. I appreciate you getting that that to me, but I don't actually think that helps, uh, Steve. Steve, if you know the answer, feel free to raise your hand and, and jump in. But uh, message me privately, and we will talk about this on a future show. I think with any spending, you should be looking for the best deal possible. You should also be thinking, does this matter? So I mentioned booking to Key West. In Key West, the number one thing that matters is location. 
So as long as you have a safe hotel room, I knew on this trip I wanted location and I wanted a pool because our, our mutual friend who is visiting with his family is renting an Airbnb and won't have a pool and I'll have his kids at some points, so I'd like to have a pool. So I found the cheapest combination of those things. I think that is a great personal finance lesson to keep. But with that, we are just about out of time. Steve, if people want to send us an email, where can they do that? Uh, and uh, what should they email us about? Sure. Uh, info at seveninvesting.com. Uh, generally me that's going to be answering that email at all wild hours. So, uh, you know, you can ask us questions. Um, you know, our subscribers, we answer questions about investing in general. And a lot of these specific companies uh, that we see, you know, there's a lot of questions that are coming in about very specific companies. Several of them may or may not be formal seven investing recommendations. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you go to the, our research portal on the site, look at our company updates, you will find company updates that we have written uh, for our recommendations uh, on any material news. So uh, look there if you're a seven investing subscriber. Uh, but we also talk about you know specific companies or uh, any questions about our service, or if you have any uh, any thoughts that you'd like to share or feedback about our site, send them info at seveninvesting.com. We're happy to answer that. Uh, and then, Steve, in a broader sense, people can get uh, they can interact with us on Twitter. I was really excited that 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 whole last segment was literally based on a a Twitter post that hundreds of people liked and commented on. And it's always exciting for me when that happens. But if they want to talk to any of us at Seven Investing, they can reach us at Seven Investing. We've made that very simple. That's right. the number seven and investing. And Steve, before we go, we do actually have an explanation uh, from yeah. my friend Chris. So yeah, let's... I, I did read it up too. Yeah, uh, why, why don't you read it out loud and, uh, and we can explain it to people. So uh, basically says rich people stay rich by buying things that last while poor people are forced to buy cheaper things causing rebuys. So often poor people end up spending more money over time. And yeah, that uh, that goes for like good work boots or like I was mentioning good shoes. Uh, that's exactly it. So uh, yeah, good, good. Uh, um, analogy there. And, and really it's, it's one of those things where you buy something that's higher quality and uh, you know, I buy a pair of shoes that last me five, six, seven, eight years uh, rather than buying two pairs of shoes uh, every year because they wear out or they're, you know, uncomfortable or whatever. Uh, you know, so yeah, that's uh that's kind of, kind of a troublesome thing. I guess you run into is if you're able to uh, rich, rich folks is the, the idea for, for work boots or whatever. Uh, can yeah. Buy it, it, things that last. So. You see it sort of personified if you visit a Dollar General. Right. Dollar General sells like half rolls of toilet paper. So if you're really tight and you need a half roll of toilet paper, well, you probably want to buy toilet paper. But I guarantee that half roll compared to buying a 20-pack at, at, at Publix or, yeah. or Sam's Club or Costco or Target or wherever is a bad value. Well, take that and multiply it across everything you buy and you could see – why not being able to make the good choice? And now, of course, it could also lead to, you know, buying in, in better quantities can also lead to waste and other problems. But yeah, me being able to buy $200 sneakers that are going to last me for six months, as opposed to going to Target and buying $30 sneakers that are going to wear out, you know, in a month, that might be a better value. Uh, we're going to take <laughs> one last comment. And uh, Steve, is this one printable uh, before I put it up there? It is. It's fine. Uh, from our very own Max Max Jasko, uh, and because they don't make shoes in Steve's size every year. See, Max Steve, makes me for being a large person. He says, "Look how small the door looks when I get up." But yes, I'm not a small person. <laughs> yes, Steve is actually uh, his size is actually Chewbacca. That's the <laughs> that, there's just a big picture of Chewie on the side of the sneakers, or <laughs> or he actually has to buy you sneakers. It's just a Slack channel 
with Steve and Shaq, like just the two of them <laughs> back and forth. Uh, we are being silly here. We appreciate so many of you watching. Uh, I think I know how to end the show. Uh, if I do not, uh, then we're just going to turn it off and slink away. But uh, Steve, just, this has been fun. We did this without our producer, Sam Bailey. But so many of you watched today. We will be back on Friday. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.